Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 27, which begins with Toe Cutter's gang rushing the Chevy, and it ends with the young couple being pulled from the vehicle. So before we get too much into the assault on the Chevy, uh, there's actually a deleted scene that we kind of missed the chance to talk to the first time around. Yep. Uh, MadMaxMovies.com has a whole page devoted to scenes that were in the script or possibly shot, maybe included in other editions of the film that aren't included in the final cut, which is pretty much what we're watching. So there's a previous deleted scene between Max and Jesse. We're far too removed from that. But there is, in particular, a scene where Toe Cutter and his boys walk past the Chevy, which we mentioned... That they must have. That they must have done A couple of times. At least twice. Yeah. So it's an excerpt from a shooting script. So it talks about how the tow cutter walks by the Chevy. The tow cutter looks at Lair and asks, yours? And Lair says, yeah, and my mates. And the tow cutter um, comments on the vehicle, talking about heavy street metal, some fine, mean, arrogant lines. You must be proud. And then the Lair, who's more confident now, says, nice, eh? And so then he starts to talk about how they spent all this time building it and how they pulled parts off of this old car to build the new car. And then the script talks about how the tow cutter isn't actually listening to him. Mm -hmm. And so Lair starts to get nervous again. So we have, in the shooting script at least, prior experience between Lair and these gang members where we kind of missed out on that. I think that that's interesting information to have because it it shows us why they go after the car so aggressively. Mm. Because Toe Cutter knew that the car was special to him. Yeah. That he had worked hard on it. He was proud of it. It also explains why they stuck around longer than they really should. Yes, and which was... Which was a big sticking point for us. Yeah, because we didn't know that they had had this little interaction between Lair and the Toe Cutter. Right, and they were made to feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, maybe a little offset by his strange behavior, but still, they engaged them in conversation, so they didn't see them wholly as nefarious characters. Yes. I also was thinking between yesterday and today about who tipped all of this off. Like, we're at the point where the Toe Cutter gang are about to completely destroy this car, and the destruction of the car leads to the discovery of Johnny, Johnny's arrest, and then the acolytes... It all snowballs. It all snowballs from there, and I'm trying to link it back, and my original idea was that it was all Grinner's fault, and and you said that was a lot of burden to put on one person, and the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, because it wasn't just that Grinner overreacted to having Milkshake you know, spat in his face. It was Mudguts who actually spat the mid- milkshake. So you could almost say that it's Mudguts' fault. But was it actually Mudguts who bought the milkshake? Like, who made the milkshake initially? You know, the person who made the milkshake, if they had been homesick that day... Somebody else would have made the milkshake. Yeah. So, well, so is the... is But I'm saying, is the whole Mad Max series because someone made a milkshake that day? I would argue no, because if you're going to investigate who's to blame, 
say there was no milkshake and there was no incident with Grinner and even if there was no incident with the couple in the Chevy, Max and Knight Rider have already interacted. The Toe Cutter Gang already sees the fault of Knight Rider's death being upon Max. Mm. So they would already be after Max. They just have these two separate reasons for going after people intersecting. Yeah. There's now, already another reason. So we should probably be talking about this later in the movie, but I really want to talk about it now. So Max and the Knight Rider, they have their showdown. The Knight Rider dies. It's reported all over the news that the Knight Rider is dead. The Acolytes go to this town to pick up Knight Rider's body, and then, assumedly, they bring him to where they later show up at the beach. Yeah. Along the way, they take out Goose. Goose's death is what makes Max want to go on vacation, and then him and the family go to that same beach. And that's where the toe cutter runs into Jesse, and then starts hunting Jesse. Yes. That results in her death and him hunting them all down. Yes. So, the thing that re- that results in her death... Is them going on vacation. Right. And just a chance encounter. They could have gone on vacation and gone anywhere else. It was a chance encounter. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of things are because of a chance encounter yeah. in this movie. So it's probably not fair of me to try and say that this can all be traced back to one single event. Well, no. I think the storyline is, is much more complex yeah. and sophisticated than that. <laughs> Lots of things. I mean, you could cut out half the details in the movie and bad, very bad things would still be happening. Yeah. It's very complex and overlapping and it's not so simple. <laughs> so speaking of complex things that overlap and happen, like you said, this minute starts off with the destruction of the Chevy. Yeah. The gang members rushing the car and just tearing this thing apart. Yes. This was a this was a kind of a hard one to analyze because I spent I don't know, maybe a half an hour just playing the first thirty seconds, which is the Chevy getting torn apart, over and over and over again, which means I was listening to the screaming over and over and over again. It was hard. When I was going over this minute, I actually had to go and mute the sound. So I don't have a lot of notes about the screaming or the music oh, or interesting. the crunching. Well I'm glad I do then. Yeah. Because I was going over it shot by shot. Frame by frame even. Yeah. Like I was yeah, clicking you... through it. Yeah, you have this glorious list written out in front of you of how many shots of destruction are there? Okay, so the entire destruction of the Chevy is 42 seconds from second zero when they're running up to the car to second 42 or 43 when it pans out. Well, it doesn't pan out. It fades out to a wide shot. So over that 42 seconds, there are 53 individual cuts. Yep. From shot to shot to shot. And I went through and I listed each one with with even like down to the frame number of where it switches out because I just, I, I, I can't stop myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might have a problem. <laughs> well, not to me because knowing that you did that allowed me to look at it from a more emotional perspective, which is where I'm comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I noticed things... I think from more of a an artsy perspective mm-hmm. than you did. So this scene is troubling on many levels. It's troubling emotionally. For me, it's kind of troubling technically, just because that's a lot of work. As you as you watch this scene, you understand how many times they had to cut to something different and how much 
time they really had to fill with these quick little snippets. And I mean, a lot of these cuts, they go by so fast that it's hard to really see what's going on. But probably the best example of how chaotic this scene is, is how they use these shots and arrange them in such a way that you don't really know who is where, and it makes seven people seem like more. Yes. Like I said, the best example of this, the fourth fourth cut in the scene is Kundalini at the driver's side window, terrorizing Lair, just screaming at him. Um, the very next cut, cut number five, is Kundalini at the rear passenger side window, smashing it out with a with a bar and so they use all of these sort of out of out of sequence shots to just make it seem like all the more chaotic yes and everyone is in constant motion they're either swinging something or moving around from place to place i think the best part about that is when um it starts off with kundalini at the at layer's window and he screams at him kundalini turns away and then while Lair is turned away, Mudgut slides in and takes Kundalini's place. And so when Lair looks back, it's someone else new. Yes. And so it's even more terrorizing for him. Yes. And the whole time you got Clunk jumping on this on the um, he's the one on the roof. Yeah. Okay. You've got Clunk on the roof the on entire the roof. time, stomping and stabbing through. Yes. And so they've got all of like these they don't know things. which way to look. Things are happening all around them. Yeah. And it's very terrorizing. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So the overall feel of that whole 42 seconds, I kind of came up with a bit of a theory okay. about those 42 seconds. And hopefully hopefully it makes sense when I actually say it out loud, because it's just all written down and all happened in my head. So let's, we'll go for it. There are three distinct parts to the scene of beating the car. Okay. Okay. So first, we are inside the car with the couple. Um, there is lots of screaming, mostly the girl. She's a fantastic screamer. Um, all of the violence is coming in at you. The windows are being broken in. The, I think the crowbar is coming in from the roof. It's, it's very, um, claustrophobic. Mm. And the effectiveness of what you were talking about of the gang members, like, constant motion it feels very much like yes they're breaking down walls literally by breaking down the windows but they're also building another wall that Lair and the girl don't know what's happening and they just want to go in but they can't because even that's being assaulted yeah there's a there are several instances of cuts with them recoiling away from the window and getting really close to the camera. Yes, exactly. And we feel, I felt the very same thing. Like I wanted to recoil, but you have nowhere to go. Yeah. Um, and she is screaming constantly and it's very effective. There's no music. Um, and so, and then we transition to, we are now outside the car um, mostly not seeing too much of the car, but st it's still there and we're still seeing it. But our focus is on the gang members. Right. And if I remember, if I'm remembering correctly, there's still not, there's still no music. Um, it's mostly just the sound effects of the destruction and a little bit of her screaming. Yeah. Now, her scream, she does, like, one last scream that we hear that's in, like, the forefront of the musical profile. And it's long. And it transitions directly into this, the music that mm. finally starts up. So that's, that's section number three, where the music starts up and it starts to drive us emotionally, like, faster, faster, faster. That's when we're no longer seeing anybody at all. Mm -hmm. Um 
We are only looking at the car. We are zoomed in close to the car. The shots, uh, the cuts going faster and faster and faster. That's when we see a lot of repeated shots. Oh, absolutely. Like a lot of repeated shots. We see... Like how many times we see the same headlight get broken. Toe cutter swings at the same window, I think three or four times. The... Yeah. The he- the grill of the car it's, is uh, smashed, smashed and pried. And it's smashed and pried like at least three or four times. Yes. And I, the very first time that I noticed how many times the same shots were getting used, I thought it was like a cost cutting thing or a time saving thing. I don't think so. I think it was a purposeful choice to contribute to the chaos. Yeah. These are We don't we don't know what's happening. Yeah, these are little cuts our, taken from a longer shot. Yes. Our perception swinging. of action and time is completely distorted at this point. Um and it just keeps going faster and faster until it culminates with us back inside the car with the couple and they're getting pulled out of the car. Right. And I like the I actually like the use of all of these fast cuts because it puts us in their shoes yes like you said they don't know what's going on either we are in the car with them experiencing this firsthand and i find it interesting the fact that you go from seeing them in their reaction to seeing the gang members in their actions but then it just evolves at some point to just noise visual noise of the car being smashed yes and the overwhelming thundering of the soundtrack yes you know you've got those strings that come in and then it gets obviously just louder all over the place it's very affecting it is it is it's and it just occurred to me that strings are often used to represent the sounds of like tearing metal yeah and once it's that's exactly how it's used or even screaming yes you know that that shrill sound of an individual violin paired together with however many in an orchestra just gives the impression of screams when you know when it's written that way not all the time yep <laughs> but the one thing i definitely noticed about this scene is that of all the gang members bubba zanetti contributes the least he's the one in all black right so bubba zanetti i noticed him in like one or two it's quick it's really quick i noticed him standing kind of back yeah he spends most of the time observing. standing back from the violence which i found interesting yeah he's the one over here yeah black all black silver helmet silver mirrored visor yeah is bubba zanetti um this is definitely the minute where i had to really take a step back and evaluate who was who based on what they were wearing yes so like i said yeah i wasn't sure who that was but i did notice and i think there might be another shot where we can see him Oh, there definitely is. Yeah, not participating so much. Bubba Zanetti can be seen when Johnny is standing on the hood of the car kicking the windshield. And Bubba is just standing next to Toe Cutter. Yeah, and Toe Cutter is over here now. Yep, so Toe Cutter, in the final shot, we end up with Diabondo and Starbuck pull Lair out of the car. We have... Which, isn't it Diabondo that we posited might be homosexual? He might be. Um, But yeah, he was the one that we were talking about. Yeah. So Diabondo and Starbuck pull Lair out of the car. We've got Clunk sitting on the trunk of the car, just kind of clapping. Yeah. On the passenger side of the car, Johnny the boy pulls out the young woman and really grabs onto her. 
which is probably one of the reasons he has her on a leash in the next minute. But we will talk plenty of oh, that yeah. when we get to it. Um, standing by Johnny is the Toe Cutter, as well as Kundalini and Mudguts. So the best way to tell them apart, Starbuck has the red helmet with the ponytail. Um, let me see if I can pull up my cheat sheet here. So while you're looking at the cheat sheet, and while we're on the subject of what they're wearing in their helmets, I found it very interesting that during this whole thing, they kept their helmets on. Oh, yeah. Keeps them anonymous. Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely on purpose. Yeah. It, it could be very easy to say that they were in a rush to get from their bikes to the car, but... I, I've worn motorcycle helmets. I know how fast you can take them off if you want to. Yeah. The only one that isn't wearing the helmet portion is yeah. Mudguts, Mud but Guts, he still has the face mask on. He's got on. his face mask on. So when you're looking at the Acolytes with their helmets on, Toe Cutter has black helmet with goggles, no visor. Yep. He also has the fur-lined fur coat. Yes. Um, Johnny the Boy, tan pants, dark jacket. He has a light tan helmet with a clear visor. And the scarf. Yep. The scarf is usually how, how I identify him. Yep. So Mudguts has the tan coat, the whitish helmet with the rubber monkey ears. Mm-hmm. Um, he also has a red trimmed goggles with a blue face mask. Uh, Clunk, who, like I said, is sitting on the back of the hood as we, uh, well, it's, no, it's a trunk. He's sitting on the trunk or the boot, if you call it that. He, he's wearing the tan jumpsuit with the orange bracers, white helmet, no visor. Uh, let's see. Diabondo. Wears tan pants and a black jacket, much like Johnny, but he does not have a scarf. He has a yellow helmet with goggles, no visor. Uh, Starbuck, like I said, tan pants, dark jacket, red-orange helmet with a ponytail and a clear visor. Kundalini has the pretty much all red leather ensemble. Yeah, he's pretty is, easy to pick out. Yeah, he stands out like a sore thumb. He's got a black helmet with a black bubble visor. He's the one that we were talking about when they pulled into town. We get that extra shot of the guy taking off his helmet. Yes. And it's like the extra shot of Kundalini. And then Bubba Zanetti, black jacket, dark pants, silver helmet, silver mirrored visor. And we get and that gets and that's pretty much all of the main important yeah, gang members. definitely help us ID people. Yeah. Especially in group shots like this. Like, it, this shot was very quick. I had to watch it several times, pausing very carefully to really see what's going on. Mm -hmm. And you can really see, just from the quick shot, how much they've already destroyed of the Chevy. Yes. Like, Clunk has completely collapsed in the roof. The hood is smashed. All the pipes are ripped off. There are so many holes in every surface when i was reading up on this chevy there was a note in there about how if you are absolutely in love with old chevy impalas not to worry too much about them destroying one because according to the people watching it as they're piercing the radiator that water or fluid i don't think it's necessarily always water it's radiator fluid but it's like brown and dirty yeah. and that's kind of a sign of an older less yeah. cared for car yeah so no need to worry about them destroying a pristine part of you know automotive movie history wasn't apparently that nice to begin with so a couple little things that i noticed uh toe cutter is now wearing a visor where or goggles yeah he where he was goggles. not before uh when he was still on the bike and he hit their window for the first time with the axe he did not have any eye protection on at all and now he does that's right his goggles were up so that could be seen as an inconsistency or it could be seen as he lowered his goggles because they were doing so much violence, it's a smart thing to wear eye protection. Oh, yeah. With <laughs> so that much, with that much glass <laughs> flying around? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and then one other thing I noticed is that as 
as Johnny is carrying away the girl and the crow comes in, kind of fades to the crow, we can see Toe Cutter and Kundalini standing there. Kundalini puts his arm around Toe Cutter's shoulders like... Like they're looking on at a job well done. Yeah, they're very self-congratulatory in this Exactly. I never actually noticed that that Kundalini puts his arm around Toe Cutter. Yeah. It says something about their relationship. It wasn't the other way around. Um, I think it would have been easy to do Mm. it, Toe Cutter putting his arm around Kundalini. I find Kundalini to be, of the gang members, the one that is more given to these fluid motions and over-exaggerated things like dancing in the street with mud guts and motioning mud guts inside ahead of him, putting his arm, like he's very fluid in his motions, whereas mud gut is more, you know, erratic. Yes. More jumpy at things. And he makes it look very natural, Kundalini Mm. does. Yeah. He's got some great line work there. Yes. (laughs) And then we fade to the crow. So. Well, is it a crow? That's the... I had a big question about that. Like, is it a crow? Is it a raven? Is it a grackle? And it's like, okay, so I'm, I'm going to jump online and I'm going to research this. I'm going to research the hell out of it. So, unfortunately, um, there are a lot of subspecies of crow in Australia. There's also a lot of subspecies of ravens in Australia. And on one site in particular, it's brokenbiologian.blogspot.com. They have an entry about what is the difference between crows and ravens. And this is just an excerpt that I've cut from there. And I'll I'll read from that here. It says, so what is the difference between ravens and crows? The correct answer at the end of the day appears to be nothing. If you rephrase the question to how can you tell the difference between the different species, the answer, at least in Australia, is not easily. (laughs) Australian corvids are almost identical in appearance. The most reliable way of knowing is simply knowing which town you are in. In Melbourne and Adelaide, your local crows are little ravens. In Perth, Canberra, and Sydney, they are Australian ravens. In Hobart, they are forest ravens. And in Brisbane and Darwin, they are Teresian crows. Note, however, that there may be other species about, such as the elusive Australian raven visitors in Melbourne. So, as much as you would like to put a stamp down and say this is definitively a crow or this is definitively a raven, at least according to this blog spot entry, the question is one of those emojis where the face is shrugging and... Okay, well, let's, let's do this. We know that they filmed outside of Melbourne. Yep. So what did it say for Melbourne? For Melbourne and Adelaide, the local crows are just little ravens. Okay, so it's a little raven. There we we're go. just going to go with it. I just I, I loved the ter- the terminology and tone used in that entry as sort of like, you want to tell the difference? Yeah, it must be nice. <laughs> it must be nice to want. I have to say, I'm kind of relieved that we are done with this minute. I have not been looking forward to this minute. Like the entire movie, I've knowing it's coming up and this entire scene with the Chevy and more to come is very dark. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm glad that this part of it is, is over. Yeah. There's a lot of the aftermath that we don't have to sit through, yes. which is nice yes. um, because it spares us as an audience. And we'll talk more in mostly minute 29 when Max and Goose actually we, show up. Yeah. We see the aftermath of the car and the, the scene in general. It's there is bad. a lot implied. Yes. That is really bothersome. Yes. 
you know, to the so sensibilities. We're, <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll get through it and this part is done. Yeah. Before we finish up with it though, it's important mm-hmm. to note that the destruction was done by the actors. They were given the opportunity to smash this vehicle. It's not like they brought in the extras as, you know, the existing gang members. No, they let the actors do this smashing so they could get their faces and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting because they actually didn't show their faces. They could have put stunt people in their clothes right. and gotten the same effect. Um, I think it's good for the actors, though, because I don't know shooting order, but there are plenty of times where the gang seems quite benign. They spend a lot of time throughout the movie just kind of goofing around and they don't, you don't get a sense of what they're really capable of until scenes like this where they, they are really showing off what they can do. I think it was very important for George Miller to include this scene so soon after introducing the gang proper. That way we can really see, like you said, what they're truly capable of. Yeah. Because if we only see them goofing off around town or hanging out at the beach or just, you know, being creepy stalker um, activities and whatnot. We won't, we wouldn't truly know what they're capable of and seeing them just utterly tear apart a car and terrorize this couple and do far worse. Mm -hmm. It really hammers home. Okay. As charmed as you are by these characters and what their personalities are, No, these guys are monsters. Yes. They are not heroes. And I'm glad that they made it very clear to us that you're right. They are monsters. As interesting as the toe cutter may be. He's still the villain of this movie. He is 100% the villain of this movie. And it's important to remember that. Yep. How quickly he can turn on a dime. Because there's no real reason that they should have gone after this couple. I mean, it was essentially a whim. A whim decision. Yes. You know. They, they sideswiped him or something like that. And it's like that little action does not elicit this response. Correct. So when we see later scenes between, you know, him and Jesse or him and Max or just him and the other gang members or him and the grease monkey, like there are these scenes with this underlying tension because we know exactly what the toe cutter is capable of. Yep, and this was a very good lesson. Absolutely. We, we get a quick... Last three seconds of this minute is a transition from the Raven into the next next scene. scene. But we'll save all that for tomorrow. Yeah. Nothing really happens in the last three seconds. No. Yeah, that we we can't just talk about tomorrow. Yes. With that said, our website is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash madmaxminute. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute number 27. We will see you tomorrow. Motorbikes and leather men Take me to the end